Welcome to the Ashoka Systems Change Podcast, a new six-part podcast series from Ashoka, the world's largest network of social entrepreneurs. My name is Bregel Barron, and together with Odin Mullenbein, lead of the systems unit at Ashoka Globalizer, we explore some of the key ideas and approaches used by social entrepreneurs to achieve systems change. In these interviews, we discuss key dimensions of systems thinking, like approaches to collaboration, leadership, and crucially funding, through the experience of Ashoka Changemakers, working as systems entrepreneurs. I'm very pleased to welcome Sylvia Bastante Dumfrau to the podcast. Sylvia is a global philanthropy expert with some 20 years' experience working in the fields of business, nonprofit, international development, and government. She's managing director at CoImpact, focusing on partnerships and strategy. Sylvia is former global head of philanthropy advisory at UBS, serves as senior fellow at the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth at the University of Zurich, and also serves on the board of the I Am Water Ocean Conservation Foundation. So Odin, looking forward to speaking to Sylvia. I just wanted to get your sense of what you're expecting here and why you think this is interesting. Every one of our previous guests mentioned funding as a serious issue, so we thought we should also feature a donor's perspective. And CoImpact is, of course, a role model in many ways. They invest in systems changing initiatives and they do so with a significant amount of money. They're looking to invest $500 million in the next couple of years. The initiative is a collaboration between several big donors. They provide long-term unrestricted funding. They focus on learning, support with regard to strategy and organizational development, and they view the projects that they support as real partners. All of these themes overlap, of course, with what our previous guests um, have already talked about. Uh, this is all about trust, giving up control, building coalitions, and the importance of learning and adaptation. So this is a good wrap-up to also talk about these themes from a donor's perspective. Sylvia also has many great tips for social entrepreneurs and for donors, so I'm very much looking forward to this one. So thank you very much, Sylvia, for joining us today on the Ashoka Systems Change podcast. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, maybe just to start, can you just talk a little bit about your background, Sylvia, what you do and, and what Co-Impact does? I am originally from Lima, Peru. And growing up in a country with so much poverty and inequality, I always wanted to work to make the world a better place. I started out my career in Washington, D.C., working for some of the large international organizations. And after a period of time, I thought for the amount of resources they control, I'm not sure they're changing the world sufficiently. Maybe I can learn more working for uh, an NGO. I joined Amnesty International. Again, I worked there for a few years. And I thought people were very passionate about human rights. But I thought that sometimes the whole strategic planning and good management was not as present as I, I thought it should be. And this was you know, many years ago in the early 2000s where the sectors were much more separated from each other between business, nonprofit, academia, and, and now we see a, a greater convergence. So at that time, I thought, where can I learn the skills that I think are missing? I became a strategy consultant with the Monitor Group and did that for almost 10 years in different parts of the world, doing quite a lot of social change consulting, working with foundations and, and nonprofits in different parts of the world and governments as well. Um, and I decided to focus on philanthropy because my experience uh, so far had been that there are some nonprofit leaders that 
managed to get quite a bit of, of funding, but that has no relationship to how effective and impactful the work they're doing they're doing is. And usually, if a social entrepreneur happens to be Western educated and speak English properly, they usually are are more able to raise funds in the developed world. And then there's others that are doing incredibly impactful work in their own countries, but sometimes don't the flows of funding do not do not support them. So that's why I chose to focus on philanthropy. I spent a few years as global head of philanthropy advisory at UBS working for the bank and advising wealthy individuals on how to have impact with their resources. And and my realization from that time was that their philanthropy is incredibly dispersed. There's so many people doing their own their own little projects and their own things. And most people believe that to be a philanthropist, you have to have your own foundation. And, and this is mirrored in some ways by the dispersion of efforts also in the nonprofit sector. In the United States, there's 1.6 million nonprofits. In the UK, the numbers I have, it's around 160,000 voluntary service organizations. And, you know, when philanthropy is given in this way, in relatively small amounts, uh, dispersed, and in many cases, quite restrictive ways, this is not going to help to solve some of the biggest issues that we have uh, in humanity. And um, Co-Impact was founded by uh, my friend Olivia Leland. She was also the founding director of the, the Giving Pledge working with with many wealthy individuals to to commit their resources towards philanthropy and her appreciation of of the state of philanthropy i think was somewhat similar the fact that the way that funding is being delivered um, to social entrepreneurs and to social change leaders is a restricted um, and small amounts and year by year, which, you know, doesn't allow them to really develop a systems change strategy and an approach to doing something really significant that it can impact millions of people. And that's what led her to create CoImpact. CoImpact is a collaborative of philanthropists. We started out with uh, five core partners, and by now we have over 30 philanthropists and foundations that have chosen to join us. And we pull the funding to do very large um, systems change grants in education, health, and economic opportunity in low- and middle-income countries. Excellent, excellent. So how long have you been in operation? And can you give us a sense of the scale and what your ambitions are, where you are? Just a little bit, maybe of an overview of that before we go in and talk a little bit about the details of funding these kind of projects. So CoImpact was launched in November of 2017. And in January of last year, in January of 20, 2019, we announced our first round of grants, of systems change grants. We awarded 80 million across four different initiatives, two in health, one in education, one in economic opportunity. We are currently sourcing our second round of grants, but something that is slightly different to to how we operate from other grant-giving organizations is that we actually, before we award the the significant systems change grants, we do what's called a design grant, which is half a million dollars and around eight months of technical support so that um, the social change leaders that have you know, already 
have evidence of impact and they're already working with tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of people, but have the potential to reach millions and to do this in a sustainable way so they can really develop their systems change um, thesis and strategy. So that's a period of eight months under 500,000 in support. And we're currently just about to award uh, six different organizations with this design grants. And um, by the end of the year, we will select anywhere between three to, to five that will receive, again, a systems change grant. And we're also opening the, the sourcing for our third round of grants, more or less as we speak. It, it will be out uh, today or tomorrow. And it's, it's again, similar systems change uh, initiatives in education, health, economic opportunity in, in low and middle income countries. And we have a special emphasis on female-led organizations and also on South-based uh, organizations. So that's, that's our third round that we're, we're sourcing for at the moment. On the side of, of the funders, our core partners, our, our initial core partners, were Bill and Melinda Gates, Jeff Skoll, the Rockefeller Foundation, Nandan and Rohini Nilekani, and Richard Chandler. And last year, we also had the Elma Foundation join us. So it is a, a diverse group. Our, our core partners contribute around 50 million over 10 years. Some do a bit more, some do a bit less. And we have, as I mentioned, different levels of contribution. And in total, we have over 30 philanthropists and foundations that have chosen to, to join us for this work. Fantastic. It's great momentum. <laughs> That's very great. Now, can you talk a little bit at the heart of this is this question of funding social change. And maybe could you just tell us a little bit about why you think funding for social change is different from traditional social entrepreneurial funding? So to fund systems change requires philanthropists or foundations to fundamentally be willing to give up control up to a certain point, right? Everything we know from speaking to, to multiple social entrepreneurs in the world is that not everybody's working on a systems change approach. What, what do we mean by a systems change approach? It's roughly three things, and we have a, a full definition in, in, our hand, in our handbook, but essentially it's, it's shifting a part of the system, be it the institutions, the relationships, the functions, the incentives of norms, so that the system functions at a better equilibrium that benefits a large number of people. So it's this step change that we're looking for. It's also a matter of scale. So we are particularly interested in, in systems change that can benefit millions. In theory, you could have systems change that does not reach a significant scale, but that's a, a very theoretical construct. For us, it is really about reaching millions of people. And the, the third element is that it has to be you know, meaningful and sustained improvements uh, over time. And for us, the best use of philanthropy at that level is supporting solutions that are either going to be adopted by government in the in the country or in the state in which we're we're supporting the work, or where there is a viable commercial solution, so that the funding from philanthropy can be given to to help to really change the system and make things sustainable in the in the longer term. That's what we mean by by systems change. And you know, in order to fund systems change, funders number one need to 
trust the program partners, as we call the, the organizations and the leaders that we give grants to, and really, you know, agree on what the ultimate outcomes are, but understand that even with the best strategies, all we know from social entrepreneurs that have, have done this in the past is that their ability to pivot and to change along the way is incredibly important. So it's a different type of funding in the sense that it has to be more flexible, more long-term, and also a lot less restrictive. And, and really, it's much more of a partnership with the organizations that are, that are really implementing the work and that, that have the, the lived experience and the understanding of the context in which they're operating to be able to change their, their, own, their own systems. Yes. And uh, there are two parts to this, of course. There are the, the program partners and the funders. And I guess there's a question of them being on the same wavelength. And can you talk a little bit about the ways in which systems change entrepreneurs need to start, need to talk about and present their, their ideas, present the, the, their projects? These are you know, complex social systems. They're, they're not linear. They're, be, they're, you know, they're, they're different, different ways of thinking about them. And presumably as well, measuring impact is not the same. For sure. One of the things that, that we found in the time that we've been doing Co-Impact is that there's very few investment-ready systems change efforts. Because even the best social entrepreneurs that we know or social change leaders, they, they haven't had many times the space to, to actually think, you know, if funding was not a constraint, you know, how would I do things differently? Who would I need to partner with? And how would we change the system so that we really improve the lives of millions of people, right? And that's partly why, as I said before, we offer this, this time and, and support called the design grant, because in our experience, that really is, is fundamental in, in helping the social entrepreneurs to, to develop their thesis. So one of the things we also we also speak about in our handbook is the ability of, of program partners or, or social change leaders to develop their own strategic coherence, right? In many cases, um, social change leaders, social entrepreneurs are essentially running after disparate bits and pieces of funding from different funders. And they spend a lot of their time fundraising so that they can support their work for the next year. And they don't have the space to say, well, let's take a step back. And, you know, how would we actually change the system and make it sustainable in the long term, right? And, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, but we believe that, that social change leaders actually need to invest some time and effort in developing this bigger vision of what they can achieve in a systems change approach. And, and then, you know, convincing the funders that what they should do is actually support this overall strategic plan that is coherent in and of itself and that, that is based on the best experience of the social entrepreneurs of affecting change in their own context rather than giving bits and pieces of funding that sometimes do not add up for some significant changes. I, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we come back to that maybe a, a little later, maybe some focus tips for uh, uh, social ch change on entrepreneurs. But can you maybe just talk a little bit about one or two of your first projects? What was it that you, you, you found particularly convincing about them? 
And being on the receiving end of pitches, I suppose, maybe if you had any general comments, uh, you've alluded a little bit to this, as to the, how aware the entrepreneurs were themselves and how you know, their approach in pitching. But it really is the projects that I'm most interested in. Yeah, for sure. I can give you a couple of programs that, uh, that we're supporting in our first round of grants. So one example, for example, is the Liberia Health Assistance Coalition, which the Secretariat is an organization called Last Mile Health. Now, in Liberia, which has had a complicated history and it's also a difficult context in Africa, one of the biggest issues is still childhood mortality. So the numbers that I know is is one in seven children dies before before their their first year, which is quite high for even for a developing country. And this initiative um, is is focusing on community healthcare workers, which has been proven in many contexts as a very cost-effective way of delivering healthcare in the last mile. Now, what I understand is that in Liberia, after the Ebola crisis, there were 47 different NGO-implemented community healthcare worker projects, which doesn't really make a lot of sense if we want to achieve a certain level of efficiency and reach scale and cover the whole country. Now there is a coalition of five NGOs, and the leader of the coalition is, or the secretariat for the coalition is Last Mile Health, working with the Ministry of Health and with the Ministry of Finance. And the government is fully committed to extending healthcare to every single rural Liberia. There is also the Global Fund that is contributing in, in, in this space and is, is implementing some of the work throughout the country. And it's a coordinated approach and it's a plan that over five years, the whole ownership of the program, which is partly already in the government's hands because they are already paying for the stipends for the community healthcare workers, the full ownership transfers to the government. And it becomes a national model of how to extend healthcare to the last mile. So that's that's, for example, and uh, you know, one of the initiatives that we supported in the in the first round. Another one that I can mention is a coalition that was formed by Pratham and my uh, MIT Poverty Action Lab, JPAL. Essentially, Pratham pioneered a way to do differentiated learning um, for for children in the same classroom in, in a public sector setting. It's called teaching at the right level, which is a way in which teachers can give a te- an individualized test to each child to see exactly where they are in terms of, of reading and, and maths, and then give them exercises and make them work in small groups and give them exercises tailored to where they are. And this is a way of ensuring that every single child that goes to school actually learns the basics of of reading and maths, without which a lot more is not possible. And we've seen amazing statistics of different countries that say that a high percentage of kids that even graduate from primary school cannot read and write properly. And this obviously doesn't doesn't give them a a very good starting point. So uh, Pratham, this major NGO in India, was actually founded by Madhav Shaban, who is an Ashoka Fellow, uh, developed this methodology called teaching at the right level. And then uh, the MIT Poverty Action Lab, JPAL, did the evaluations. And now they've formed a consortium between the two organizations called Teaching at the Right Level Africa. And they are providing technical assistance in six different countries for the governments to implement this methodology within their, their national education systems. Right. 
Like now, these are big projects. They say system-wide projects. Are there a couple of things that you could maybe uh, identify that attracted you or that convinced you about these projects? Uh, clearly, a complex, time-consuming process to analyze and understand. I, I guess in the kind of due diligence, what's involved. But just wondering from the funds' perspective. What was it that, that convinced you or what are the kinds of things that convinced you in, in these cases? There's a number of factors that are quite important for us. One is just the, the, essentially the core of the idea, right? And, and, and seeing that um, the idea in and of itself is, you know, has already been proven and there's, there's evidence of impact um, behind it. Which, um, and we believe that all systems change really starts with a transformative idea. The second thing I would I would say is that, you know, being able to to affect systems change uh, depends on the strategic organizations with really great leadership. So, want to we want to see leaders that are, you know, that have a solid track record. They're very purpose driven and but at the same time pragmatic. And very importantly, they need to understand and have roots and connections in the context that they are trying to shift. We also look for curiosity, people who are still willing to learn and who have the capacity to form these effective coalitions of actors that are going to take this idea forward. So it's rarely one organization scaling itself up but it's rather instituting an approach and working with multiple others uh, to make uh, change happen within, within their context. A couple of other things that, that attract us uh, to, to both of these initiatives and, and, and many of the others is the fact that the, the initiatives are not trying to change absolutely everything in the system because that, number one, would be almost paralyzing as, as how difficult it is uh, to, to do that. But they're focusing on what is the key factor that we need to address within our strategy to really achieve this very significant uh, and outsized uh, impact. I would say maybe a couple more things. One is uh, what I mentioned before about the leaders um, having a, being curious and in general the organizations having a learning and adaptation approach because as I said, I mean, system change is incredibly complex and with whatever strategy you come up with, you'll have to change along the way. So it's, it's having the flexibility to learn and to adapt. Uh, and actually, one of our, our values that we share not only with our program partners, but also with our, the philanthropists and foundations that, that choose to support it, is, is the, the idea of a beginner's mind. Um, that we are you know, willing to challenge our own assumptions and that we, we continually seek to, to learn and to adapt that reality. Now that's very interesting. It's very interesting and very helpful. I'm just wondering one area, maybe just talk a little bit, which is this question of impact and showing impact. Because clearly in these kind of cases, in, when we're talking about system change, it's not so obvious how to show you know, the beneficiaries and the impact from the perspective, from the perspective of bene beneficiaries. So can you talk a little bit about how social entrepreneurs should talk about impact or maybe uh, system change entrepreneurs should talk about impact and what, what your experience was measuring and, and getting a sense of that in, in, the, in the kind of projects that you were interested in? That's a very good question. So in the, in the philanthropy sector, there's almost an, an obsession with measuring impact and, you know, people come up with all complicated forms of, of frameworks to try and measure their impact or to, to demonstrate what, 
the, the impact that they're having. There's a couple of things that I would like to say. The first one that, you know, what we support with our program partners is their own learning about what it means to contribute to systems change. So it's not just about measuring impact, it's about creating systems and ways of understanding the impact that the organization is having, but with a focus on the learning that can be gained to be able to course correct and actually ultimately achieve the, the outcomes that, that one is looking for. So, so this orientation that is not about evaluating impact, but rather about learning and adapting uh, along the way, uh, for us is incredibly important. The other thing I would say is that, as I said, there's a lot of complexity and it's important to focus in on what is the ultimate, you know, measure of success or the key metric that we're looking for. And as much as, you know, the the, the example I gave you of the Liberia Health Assistance Coalition is, you know, a massive national program to extend healthcare to every single rural Liberian, it all comes down to a significant reduction in childhood mortality. and we know as well that reduction in childhood mortality is a proxy for the, the health of the whole health system. So it's about simplifying and saying, yes, we're doing multiple things to change the system, but ultimately this is the one outcome that we're really seeking to do. Um, the same in terms of, of the teaching at the right level uh, Africa that I was uh, giving the example for. There, what we want to see is the improvement for a large number of students in terms of their uh, reading and writing and, and basic arithmetic skills. So if you if you can, you know, do these national programs that can have impact for millions and, and you can bring it down to something that is fairly concrete and understandable um, and, and, you know, cut away some of the, the complexity that comes into it, we think that that's a, a good way to do it. That's great advice and, and also reflects, I guess, a deep understanding of the system. <laughs> you don't get there, you know, uh, overnight to really understand that. Uh, and as you say, get to the core of, you know, what, what the driver is or what, you, what, what you're trying to impact. That's very interesting. Now, are there a couple of other tips that you would have for social entrepreneurs? This question of how they think about impact, the tremendous importance of learning, as you say, and willing to adapt as they go. Are there a couple of other tips that you'd like to suggest? You know, thinking about the, the the philanthropists and the foundations and and the usual ways of providing funding, I think that that uh, social entrepreneurs or social change leaders sometimes have more space that that they're than they're willing to take in sending back uh, towards philanthropists and foundations and saying, you know, I'm I'm very grateful that you're supporting me with this amount of money to to carry out this work, but. For example, the burdens that you're imposing on me by asking me to fill in your template of reporting in your own time frame that is not harmonized with the many other funders that I need to interact with are not supportive of, of actually achieving the outcomes that I believe that you're interested in, right? So it's really about pushing back a little bit. I know it's, it's a complicated power relationship, but I would encourage um, social entrepreneurs to speak up a little bit more. And, you know, in some circumstances, it's better not to take the funding if it comes with so many strings attached um, and doesn't support, you know, the strategic coherence of, of, the, of the organization and, and what it knows that, it, that is necessary in their own context. So that would be, a, you know, 
potentially a piece of advice to really go back to the funders and 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 explain why uh, giving funding in in relatively restricted amounts and short term and and all of this doesn't really support uh, the achievement of the outcomes that they should be interested in. Well, that's that's very interesting because it points to this two way communication and this this relationship, I guess, and some kind of interdependence in the sense that the donors, the, the the ability of donors to to actually really understand what systems change is about is is an essential part of this, isn't it? And can you talk maybe a little a bit about it from that perspective and maybe talk about it, what, what suggestions you have for donors who are on this journey and really want to better support systems change? That's an interesting question. When Olivia started Coimpact, you know, we really thought that this Coimpact was a great proposition for philanthropists who were just at the beginning of their journey because, I mean, they would get a, a great qualified team that was doing all the due diligence, all the vetting, surfacing the greatest opportunities for systems change, large-scale impact in low- and middle-income countries. You know, if we believe that if our work is you know, is sufficient for Bill and Melinda Gates, Jeff Skoll, Rockefeller Foundation, and some of the other very significant and experienced funders that we have um, that hopefully would be good enough for, for people who are just beginning out in philanthropy and that they, they wouldn't need to create their own foundation, but rather could piggyback and join this, this group of philanthropists. And the truth is that no philanthropist or foundation that has chosen to join us is at the beginning of their journey. They all have quite a bit of experience. And I think the reason for that is that it takes quite a bit of work in philanthropy to even understand how difficult systems change is for the social entrepreneurs and the, the people at the front that have the experience of of the context they operate in, and also to be to be mature enough to be willing to give up uh, some level of control, and and really establish a trusting partnership with organizations and the leaders doing this work. So it's you know it takes a, a bit of a journey and experience in philanthropy to come to the point where where you actually want to focus your philanthropy on supporting systems change, and in terms of our thoughts on you know, how to support systems change. Uh, there's, a, there's a few things that we, that we certainly suggest for foundations and philanthropists. The, the first one that I mentioned a little bit before is, is about this focus on outcomes. It's not, you know, the outcomes is what we should be focusing on. The path there will invariably change. And we need to give the space for the organizations and the leaders to actually change as long as we're all moving towards the outcomes that that we seek. The second point is about providing flexible, long-term, and significant funding, you know, commensurate with the, with the needs and the issues that we're trying to address. The third point is about supporting strategic coherence, uh, which I think I've, I've discussed already, and not telling the, the organization, oh, I only want to fund this little bit or that little bit. And on that line as well is supporting strong organizations. And not necessarily saying, oh, what is your overhead rate? And, you know, can you, I, I only want to pay 5% on this because that doesn't make any sense and that doesn't really support, you know, organizations. So we speak about organizational strengthening. It's only strong organizations that can actually achieve systems change in their context. We, we also talk about being clear and predictable in what you expect and actually understanding that the, the power dynamics are actually quite 
quite subtle, right? So you may think that you are giving your, your grantees an opportunity by saying, why don't you come to this conference? But on the other side, that's interpreted as you must show up to this conference because your funder is telling you uh, to do so, right? So it's being very clear and predictable about what is reasonable and what is expected and what is just for information or or, or for sharing. This is partly why we, we actually wrote a handbook that has our whole approach to how we engage with program partners and our, our whole point of view on philanthropy and philanthropy support of systems change because we wanted to be transparent with the sector. The other um, two points, one is about reducing burdens. So, for example, we encourage all the, the funders and, and that, that choose to join us to agree to uh, and encourage single reporting so that an organization doesn't have to prepare you know, 30, 40 different reports in different timeframes with all the different formats and with different information asked. So just being very conscious of, of the burdens that we place uh, on the organizations that we give grants to. And the final one, and pretty much an all-encompassing one, is behaving as true partners. And you know, the, the basis for a true partnership is certainly mutual respect and trust. And setting the agenda together. And this is also why at CoImpact we refer to the organizations we give grants to as program partners. So we have funding partners and program partners. And we aspire to listen to them, to understand and to to work together towards the same outcomes, but to move away insofar as possible from this power relationship where the funders are the ones who dictate the terms because they have the, the financial resources to do so. That's very interesting. There's a, a lot of good advice there. As some of the comments that you, you, you made earlier and, and are, are in general have been made about the structure of philanthropy and you know, say fragmentation and the overlapping organizations and the different kinds of requirements they have for information and support, they've been around for some time. Now, some of the, the issues that you're talking about where with very specific focus on, on systems change and so forth are relatively newer. Are you confident that there is a significant change taking place? Or how would you assess this change that's taking place, maybe uh, particularly from a U.S. perspective, but, but within the kind of funding environment for systems change entrepreneurship? I wish I could tell you that I'm seeing significant change, but I, I don't actually think that that is the case. I think it's more and more philanthropists are beginning to realize that unless we're willing to fund in this way and, and to support systems change initiatives, we're not going to see the, the results and the impact in the world that we want, right? We're asking you know social change leaders or social entrepreneurs to do the impossible and get tiny amounts of funding in very restrictive ways, but actually change our world or address issues as complex as the quality of education within a whole country or providing healthcare in the last mile, right? So I think some funders and some foundations are beginning to see, uh, for my taste, not, not enough. Um, but it's certainly a growing movement, um, as, as evidenced by the number of, of, of philanthropists and foundations that, that have also decided to join us at CoImpact. And the whole sector is, is moving in this direction. I may mention the Embracing Complexity report towards a shared understanding of funding systems change, which was a collaborative effort led by Ashoka 
and with Echoing Green, the Skoll Foundation, Catalyst 2030, and the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship. And it was facilitated by uh, McKinsey and Company and, and Systemic. Um, and in, in this report, we're putting forward a, a shared point of view um, which is very similar to some of the, the points that I've made before about what does it take to support um, systems change and, and systems change funding. So that's a, a great first step. And it's certainly moving in the right direction, but not enough yet for my taste. Yes, yes. Um, next steps, promoting change in the ecosystem. The report's out now. It's, I think, been very well received. It's very thorough comprehensive and, and inspiring, really, as you say, joint, joint voices coming together. Are there one or two things that you're looking at next, or what, what do you think? I think it's about having, having the conversations and, and working in this space. But what I'd like to see is us having the conversations with funders that are not yet funding to our systems change, right? A lot of what, what is written in this report will sound like music to the ears of the, of the social change leaders actually trying to, to do this work. But who we need to convince is, is the many funders out there that, that are not yet funding in this way. And one, one important caveat that I wanted to raise is that we're not saying that every single funder needs to start supporting systems change, but that in general, there's not enough funding going in this direction and not enough funding that is unrestricted, uh, you know, long-term and, and significant amounts. And it's true that we will still need, you know, some philanthropy that is focused on the earliest stages because that's how 10, 15 years later, you have organizations like the ones that I have mentioned that have that strength and experience and capacity to create the coalitions that can actually take forward a significant systems change. So, you know, some of them started with, with grants of $3,000 or $5,000. So it's, it's important that that, that space uh, is maintained. But in the, in the whole system of funding, there isn't enough that is going towards this more large-scale systems change approach. And that's what we would like to see shifting. And in terms of how to convince uh, funders, I, I, I think it's, you know, obviously it's conversations, it's, it's relationships. And we see, you know, with the, with the philanthropists and foundations that has, have chosen to, to join us, it's, it's working with each one of them individually one moment at a time and 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 really um, they also learn quite a bit uh, by engaging and working with each other very good that's a, a vision for the future work progress still needed but the work that you're doing at co-impact is so important and thank you so much sylvia for joining us today and sharing your great work the inspiring vision you have i wish you all the best in the future thank you very much a fascinating interview there, Odin, and very precise, very insightful, lots of good, specific pieces of advice. How did you find that, Odin? Yeah, very clear overview of how we believe funding systems change should look like. Maybe just coming back to to the similarities between CoImpact and Ashoka. Of course, the two organizations help social entrepreneurs at different stages, but there are many similarities. So we both fund these systems entrepreneurs in a way that is unrestricted, so they can use the money that we give to them in whatever way they want. We also provide long-term support. In the case of Ashoka, this is even um, lifelong network support. Once a fellow 
always a fellow. <laughs> and we provide support to persons, organizations and networks with a vision rather than to particular projects. So if donors want to get like get some experience with systems change funding, this could be a great way to start by just uh, supporting the venture program. However, this is of course not all that is needed. Once people got uh, the, the initial stages of funding secured, for example, via an Ashoka Fellowship, at some stage they also need the millions of dollars that uh, donors like CoImpact can provide. Silvia also mentioned this report, Embracing Complexity Towards a Shared Understanding of Funding Systems Change. And uh, this is really an important uh, milestone for the sector, I believe. Uh, we did this in collaboration with CoImpact, Echoing Green, Schwab, and the Skoll Foundation, and the collection of 150 leading social entrepreneurs. This group is called Catalyst 2030. And uh, the whole thing was supported by McKinsey and Systemic. Sylvia kindly said that this initiative was led by Ashoka, but that is not quite true. Um, after the initial calls, this was a truly collaborative effort that all the partners can, can share equally. Social entrepreneurs who would like to get more funding for systems changing initiatives, please do read and share this report. Give it to your donors and share it in your networks. And donors, if you want to learn about the principles of what all of these partners believe is our good practices. Also read the report and please get in touch. Uh, join us in the learning journey. We all the, all the partners of this particular project are there to help you figure out how you can get started and refine your funding mechanisms. Excellent. So it's been a fascinating journey, Odin. We've had some fascinating interviews with social change entrepreneurs doing amazing work in so many different domains. What do you think is worth noting now about this series? And can you maybe just talk a little bit about what, how you found it and maybe then also looking forward to what's next? First of all, uh, thanks for listening to the mini-series. I believe we covered many important themes, including complexity, indirect impact, networks, control, personal growth, funding. But at the same time, of course, this is only the tip of the iceberg. So if you enjoyed this, this first installment, this first season, um, please do provide feedback, including what you want to hear in the next season. And then maybe we can provide more content like this in the future. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Ashoka Systems Change podcast. We hope you found it interesting. If you enjoyed this episode, please do help spread the word on social media. And also, we would love it if you could leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you use. If you'd like to find out more, please visit ashoka.org. The opinions in this podcast are personal and do not necessarily reflect Ashoka's position. Nothing said in this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice.